has that mechanical menace gotten to now? He's supposed to be here for the disclaimer. There he is. Oh my, you've sprung a leak. You may have what? Spilled the gin? Oh, R2-D2, you've been drinking. Well, I don't think it's very grown up. In fact, it all comes across as rather juvenile. I beg your pardon. I am fluent in over six million forms of communication, and I've never heard language quite like that before. You learned all of this from where? A podcast? The Peggy Mount Calamity, I told you. Well, that all sounds rather dreadful. I hope that I never have to hear it. What's that? The filthy podcast won't start until I say, kill the drum roll. I... Why, Arthur, you sneaky fucker. This week on the cast, Peggy Mount cast. Queen Doris fascinated me because she looked like someone in my, who used to live in my street. <laughs> I'm telling you now. The 1976 episode which contained this. Oh, very messy. <laughs> Figures not clear, handwriting bad, must do better. Rolled in a full seven years before this. Are you all right? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about the telly. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us for this special casual cultural critique of vintage television where Britain's best love battle axe is never far from our minds because here all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing tonight is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we open the vault, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? I'm not messing about today. I'm, I'm drinking vodka. <laughs> Good lad. Do you want to name a brand, or is it literally just Netto Vodka? Uh, no, it's JJ Whiteley. Um, is it Whiteley or Whitley? I don't even know. But it's a vanilla vodka, and I'm drinking it with... Um, Oh, well, I won't be a snob about this. Bars Raspberry Aid. Vintage. I mean, I'm classy, if nothing else. <laughs> what about, <laughs> what about <laughs> yourself? I have got a bottle of McEwan's Champion. And at 7.3%, I'm not fucking about either. I am jealous. The, uh, the first one feels like hard work, but they go down nicely after that. Let's champion our way to the next episode. And it's a blinder. Jump in, we'll take you for a spinner, show you round the wheelie world. Hop on, it's fun to come along and take a look at wheelie world. You'll be surprised how good it feels. Just zoom around, all the young wheels so merrily. A whoopee. You don't need a ticket, but we'll take you on for free and it will see no bridge. Yes, it's Chalton and the Wheelies. This is a 10-minute stop animation which was produced from 1976 to 79 and ran for 40 episodes on ITV. It centres around Chalton, a happy-go-lucky dragon who finds himself living in Wheelie World, an oddly minimalist planet where the little regular denizens zoom around on three wheels, threatened at every turn by the evil witch Frenella, who lives in a giant kettle with her army of spikers and toadies. The show was written by Brian Truman and directed by Chris Taylor, with Joe Lynch providing the narration and voice work, while Joe Griffiths writes and performs the iconic theme tune. More on that later. 
In this very first episode from September 1976, Finella's freezing spell on Wheelie World is broken when a giant egg appears. Ken! A dragon hatches before quickly making friends with the wheelies and facing off against their numinous nemesis. Now, the connoisseurs of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour yes. will recognise that a theme is beginning to form because this programme sent me into trauma at a very early age. Really? Really. That witch in that, uh, that kettle terrified me. It was Fenella. That that's okay. That you're allowed to be freaked out by. You'll have been about what three, four when this was on. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. You're allowed to be freaked out by that. I thought you were going to get freaked out by Cholton. No, it was it wasn't just Fenella. It was the Spikers. Yeah, and it was the, it was the Toadies as well. That mm-hmm. was a that was a melting pot of evil in that kettle. <laughs> I was, I, and I use this word often in these circumstances. I was mortified, mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me this is um I remember this in being in the same era as Pipkins, so watching at lunchtime with my mum because it was on like bang before rainbow. Um and yeah, obviously I'm the same age as you, so it's like we're we're just sort of getting to grips. It's not there's a lot of dialogue in this, but we're both at that age still sort of getting to grips with language, and yet this communicates absolutely perfectly, probably slightly too perfectly for you too much so more i mean a lot of the imagery scared i hated the way fenella could just vanish and reappear and <laughs> pop up and down in the ground and she would do it with such intensity and speed yeah. and uh, yeah. she seemed to do it the quick the, the more angry she got the quicker she'd disappear into the ground and they and it, and when she would mumble and then she'd start mumbling under her breath no no terrifying terrifying i'm i'm glad you mention her voice because, I mean, obviously she's ostensibly Welsh. Mm-hmm. And yet her accent occasionally sort of drifts between sort of Mumbai and Wall's End. <laughs> yes. It's, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd, it's not that he wouldn't make it past compliance now, but I think they'd be asking to, the sound engineer would be asking to re-record that, wouldn't they? <laughs> really. I, 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 I mean, in, come in, on. Well, do, you know, you know what? What accent are you trying to do there? It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it's not. No, it's 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 not. It's not happening. Um, the oh, that little, you know, as I got older, and as as well, you you know, uh, you and I both entered the wonderful world of the Gothic fraternity. Um, yes. I embraced the, uh, the 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 whole kettle scenario and the people in it. <laughs> Um, I thought it was marvelous when I when I, when I was older, but uh, but no, as a kid, it was just a completely, completely terrible. The spikers—they're like a medieval mace, man. Yeah, yeah. But they move, but they move and they think. <laughs> What's that? What is that? And they sort of speak in their own kind of bizarre language that only Finella can understand. So yeah. it's it's horrific. It's horrific. But again, that's where the spikers and the toadies aren't—they don't have like dialogue, dialogue. They just sort of make these sort of nonsensical sounds. And yet, as a child, you knew exactly what was going on there. It, you know, you didn't need subtitles on it. Yeah. Yeah, you knew. Yeah, I'm really liking the mix of the model making here and the drawn backdrops. Uh, Agreed. There's some, there's some fantastic lighting in the first few minutes of this. They really get the most out of that set. Oh, yeah, when when uh, when, when the town is all asleep. Yeah, and sort of covered in polythene for reasons which 
Oh, I'm telling you, you know. <laughs> Tim, Tim Burton. Tim Burton saw that. That episode is responsible for Tim Burton's career right now. <laughs> Telling you. And then we, we get a closer look at Wheelie World and, and, and the little backstory behind it. Fenella's got them all asleep. I'll talk a little bit about the residents of Wheelie World. Mm-hmm. Because Queen Doris fascinated me because she looked like someone in my, who used to live in my street. <laughs> I'm telling you now. But, what I find intriguing is that while the wheelies are all anthropomorphic, none of them have necessarily got sort of human faces, apart from Jenny, who just looks like she's got a human face. Yeah. It's very... Yeah, it's kind of odd. I didn't really notice at the time, but I think when I was that age, I might have had a bit of a crush on Jenny. Because, again, she's the only one that looks human, but, you know, I was four. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, Wheelie World, I... It it what a what a fabulous place! I would love to have a game of hide and seek in Wheelie World. <laughs> I would. If someone said, "Here we go, we're going to set up." It's like paintball. It's a twelve-hour session. Uh huh. Crack on, hide and seek. They'd have to be. Um, oh, I thought you meant a bit like paintball, but guns that fire spikers. Oh, let's take it to the next level then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you know what? Yeah, let's add that layer of danger. Uh-huh. So, what's going on with Cholton, then? I'll tell you something. Thick as fuck doesn't come close. Exactly. <laughs> it's just more or less more or less what I've got. I haven't been quite as blunt as that. He, right. uh, Finella, Finella turns up, starts sort of spouting off, no pun intended. Um, Cholton suggests that she's come to make the tea. <laughs> she goes... How dare you, just because I live in a kettle? No, I'd say it's more because he has absolutely no social awareness. The first, the very first thing that Cholton verbalises to anyone on this planet is pointing out that Jenny has no legs. Right. Now, given that the first people he meets are effectively a race of people in wheelchairs, what sort of thing is that to say? I think she's noticed, mate. Cholton is either a simpleton or an arsehole. <laughs> I, I, I think a bit of both. I think... I, I, he's... <laughs> I think he's an asshole, um, cloaked with the illusion that he's a simpleton. He's he's really is. Cholton, your northern charm has no currency here. And and here's something which knocked me for seven. Aye, he's named after Cholton Kamardi. Yes, yeah, because that was just round the corner from the uh, from the studio where they made it. Yeah, I never knew that. There you go. And I love the way they bring that into the show. I mean, Wheelie oh, yeah. World. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they give it its full name. <laughs> so yeah, I was but... written on the inside of your egg for some reason. Tell you what I like though, Chorlton give him his due. He's perfect with bullies. Yeah, go on. Um, this is the part. Of... It's not that it fell out. I didn't really understand what happened here, because the witch sort of turns up as it starts sort of ragging on him, and he basically uh-huh. just sort of laughs at her. And she gets really, really furious, and then she casts a spell, and then the spell doesn't work. So the narrator goes, oh, Cholton's beaten the witch. And it's like, can that really be credited to him? Why doesn't Finella's spell work? Is it because of Cholton, or is it because she's not actually magic? She's just a crazy old lady. The beauty of the fact that Cholton is too thick to be able to give a fuck at what's going on. (laughs) It just counteracts anything that she throws at him. And it's the perfect, you know, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is 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 saving your life here. Ignorance <laughs> saved Wheelie World. 
I was left wondering, are we seeing a version of reality that Cholton is imagining, or Finella? We need to talk about this theme tune, though. Oh, we do. We do. What a stormer. <laughs> Let's have a quick blast of the theme tune. Marvellous. Ken, roll the tip. No witch Vanilla, don't be worried, for there's no cause for alarm. Because <laughs> we've got Cholton, who's a dragon, he will keep you free from harm. <laughs> now... Listeners with eagle ears will notice that it bears more than a passing resemblance to something we heard during our last series. Oh, Mr. Soft, how come everything around you is so soft and rearranged? Now, of course, Mr. Soft isn't just from a tree bore advert in 1986, though. It's actually a re-record of a Steve Harley song from 1974. Oh, Mr. Soft, believe everything they tell you and be done. Thank you. Oh my God! Do you know what? Yes, I've no. heard that before. <laughs> now, when you listen to the original Steve Harley one, it doesn't have the ho 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 flourish in it. So, if I've got this right, composer Joe Griffiths has gently lifted the work of Steve Harley for an audience who probably won't spot the link. Their parents might, but the kids won't. Then, seven years later, a jingle writer, Malcolm Green, in this case. He's repaired the compliment by merging the two together and he's basically recorded the Steve Harley version with the ho-ho-ho-ho flourish from Cholton and the Wheelies. Which I is mean, quite bizarre. Well, it's taken homage to another level. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of it all, how many pegs would you put on the line? I do enjoy Cholton and the Wheelies. The thing that gets on me knackers is I'm a member of a few MySpace groups um, that talk about retro telly and stuff like that. And there's always... Who remembers Chorlton and the Wheelies? Yeah, man, we all do, man. We're all of the same age. We've already stated that when we we entered the group. Everyone does, unless you didn't have a telly and you lived in a skip. I think the thing to do in that situation is confuse them by saying, um, yeah, I remember the Chorlton and the Wheelies episode from the Christmas tape where he comes out with a banana and goes, one skin... Two skin, three skin, and then Fenella comes over and interrupts him. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. That's happening. That's happening. I knew I could rely on you. Marvellous. So, pegs on the line. Pegs on the line, because I think it's very... Uh, it, it's the starting episode. It sets it up well. We know exactly yeah. where we're at. Yeah. Um, we know who everyone is. Mm-hmm. And it's a hell of a romp. And there's a lot of imagination gone into there and a cracking theme tune. Get to the point, Velvet. Seven. A fair score. A very fair score. Um, Six out of nine for me. It's thoroughly charming, but a little light on actual content. I mean, what can you do in 13 minutes? Yeah, I know that, but, you know. But fair play. It it, it sets up everyone really well. And then Finella casts a spell and the spell doesn't work and that's the end. So... (laughs) Mind you, mind you, they did more in thirteen minutes than June did in two and a half hours. So that's fair enough. That's fair <laughs> Ooh, controversial. So the remaining question is, how many steps will it take you to yodel up the montagna? I can do it in three. Cholton and the Wheelies was narrated by Joe Lynch, who also provided voice work for the 1994 animated film Thumbelina, alongside John Hurt, whose tones appeared in Watership Down, along with those of Joss Ackland, who vocalised in the 1991 animation The Princess and the Goblin with Peggy Mount. 
You may leave it where you please. Nothing will pass my lips today. Superbio, superbio. Love How it. How about yourself? How many steps well, will it take you to yodel up that mountain? Uh, it's going to take two. Two? Two. Blimey, Charlie. Okay, so the music for Chalton and the Wheelies was written and performed by Joe Griffiths, who appeared playing piano in an episode of The Sweetie with Ronnie Brody, who also rocked up in the Decorators Limited episode of Chiffy Kids, where his character was married to the one played by Peggy Mouse. I'll slip it under your door tonight. Lovely stuff. Beautiful. Marvellous, marvellous, I know, right? That was Chawton and the Wheelies. While you're wheeling about on the road, you've got to remember rules. If you can't remember how to go on when you're out there and you need to stay safe, listen to this. We recently road-tested the current model of uh, pedestrian. <coughs> Morning, cold start, poor... Fuel consumption, heavy. The model needed topping up throughout the day. Road holding, fair. But in bad conditions, brakes were unreliable. And although the same model has been in production for some time now, spare parts are hard to obtain. However, the makers assure us that it is rust-proof and all essential parts should last a lifetime. But where our model really did badly was resistance to damage. All tests show that in collision with other vehicles, it always came off worst, with 27,000 each year seriously damaged or total write-offs. So we strongly recommend that when you take this model on the roads, you proceed at all times with great caution. There we are. Listen to Frank. Listen to him. No things to buy this time. Just be careful out there, that's all. Do what Frank yeah. is. Absolutely, do what he says. Do what Frank says. Not what Frank does. Just like this lot have to do as well. Are You Being Served was the hugely successful sitcom from David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd, produced and aired by the BBC from 1973 to 1985. Set in the fictional Grace Brothers department store, it follows the bickering staff of the ladies and menswear department and made household names of Molly Sugden, Wendy Richard, John Inman and Frank Thornton. The episode we're covering here is Forward Mr Granger from Series 4, originally broadcast in April 1976. When floor manager Mr Rumble is booked to go on a training course, he places bumbling sales assistant Mr Granger in charge, to the surprise and chagrin of floor walker Captain Peacock, who feels he should be next in line. To make matters worse, it takes no time at all for the power to go straight to Mr Granger's head, as the entire floor is thrown into a very British turmoil. Isn't it though? And we get this after one of the best theme tunes in the history of the universe. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, definitely, yes. Um, so was this on in your house when you were growing up? Was it on the yes. approved list? It was on the approved list, absolutely. It was It was acknowledged that it was a bit naughty, but that was never talked about in front of me. This uh, is what I was wondering, because there is a lot of overt innuendo throughout this. Th- Despite this being is. like a BBC mainstay and a hugely successful one, they were allowed to get away with quite a lot, I think. I think I was quite a naive child because, so I've been served ended. I think I was about twelve or thirteen when it 
ended. Yeah. And I still didn't get the pussy joke. Okay. I was that naive at, yeah. at that age. Uh, it only took me a couple of years um, to... Uh, but it wasn't a, a word that was commonly used amongst my peer group. Well, um, this is the thing, I think, to uh, for the kind of schools that we went to, that was a term so mild it wasn't really used. <laughs> it, it, exactly, yeah. You, you Frankly. Know, <laughs> you know, we were, we were in the same year at school. We were, I didn't hear it very often. Did you? Uh, no. No. There were, no. As you, but again, as you, but again I, that's the school, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you correctly say, far cruder terms. Yes. We're kicking about. We're kicking about. <laughs> <laughs> far too crude for podcasts. But uh, yeah, so theme tune, marvellous. Uh, the aesthetic was beautiful because mm-hmm. I was I was a lucky child and my mum used to take me to a rather large department store uh, which was very similar to Grace Brothers. Every Saturday I was taken there because they had a toy department, and uh-huh. big, big, lavish toy department. But to get to it, you had to wind through all these different departments, up and down the escalators, etc. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just, it was, it, it looked like Grace Brothers. And to me, watching I Being Served was a fly-on-the-wall documentary. To seven-year-old me, marvellous. Yeah. yeah, I've got to say, this is far more enjoyable than I remember. It's not that I didn't, it's not that I used to dislike it. It was like, because my parents were sort of front row in the church of BBC sitcom. So this mm-hmm. was like appointment viewing in our house. Because of that, I didn't discover the programme on my own. Because of mm-hmm. that, I think I took it for granted a little. Sure. Because um, over the years, much like Terry and June and Hello, Hello, the long run and success of Are You Being Served sort of made it this cultural shorthand for cliche and sort of catchphrase repetition in lieu of jokes. And yet, even... This episode, even in its fourth series, is still very, very solid. I was going to mention that because we're, we're, it's a little shaky. Series one's a little shaky. We're right. now series four, and by God, we're on a roll here. Mm. I mean, it's. I think it's fair to say it's mostly in the performance rather than the writing. The writing certainly backs that up. Um, but if you think about how difficult it is to pick characters against one another, yeah, when they're all this likable, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it certainly feels now like I've been served doesn't get the credit it deserves. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that because this is a perfectly created cast of characters. They are mm-hmm. superb. This is a masterclass in character creation, I'd say. Yes. Uh, let's face facts. In reality, these people all hate each other. Really, they're all <laughs> uh, all through the series. You you watch the series from beginning to end. They're all backbiting against each other all of the time. Yeah. Um, but it's so be- they they just dovetail together beautifully mm-hmm. to give this wonderful performance. I think you're you're right. Although the lines do crackle along, and we get line after line after line, uh, they do kind of weaken out. But it is mm. the performance that backs that up a hundred percent. Speaking of which, Frank Thornton is magnificent in this episode. Yeah, he is. I, again, I feel like he didn't always get the chance to show off his actual comic chops. And that's why he stands out so much in this one. His moments of mock surprise at Mr. Rumble's announcement. Absolutely. They're just sublime. <laughs> they are. Well, we, we get we get we get a little taster of that when he first meets the secretary. Yes. Yeah, and again uh, he's like he's fantastic in that. Shall we say her assets are revealed and his eyes are literally on stalks. They are quite clearly <laughs> on stalks. And he does that so well. He has quite expressive eyes anyway, Frank. But yeah. Did you um did you spot the very deftly written joke in that scene? I might have, but I had gin. Go on. 
when the uh, when the secretary's sort of trying to guess his age, and she says he's fifty five, and he ah. looks all sort of affronted, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, sure, I'm much younger than that." Um, Frank Thornton was born in nineteen twenty one, so when this episode aired in seventy six, he was indeed fifty five. Right, right. You've okay. got to, you've got to assume that they knew that and wrote that in deliberately, right? <laughs> I'd forgotten how good John Inman is in this as well. John Inman is in that, sublime. In that there's, again, there's far more to him than just the I'm free catchphrase. Absolutely. And that, you know, that's in here, but it's it appears only in like an altered form. Mm-hmm. Um, and while this compact is still kind of, it's a bit one note, it is the one note that is played to absolute perfection all the way throughout. He has all these exploits. We hear about all these exploits. I quote... <laughs> From Are you about to do the one with the captain's hat? Well, yeah, uh, just what he says dropping, to Mr. Sp- Mr. Drop, it, drop in a clip of the captain's hat. It's fantastic. You know, I was in the Navy for a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> one night I went ashore wearing the captain's cap. You should have heard the commotion that caught. Yeah, but did it, did it fool anybody? Well, it would have done if I'd have been wearing the trousers. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> it's superb. Um... Right, quick question before we get to the main subject. Yeah, yeah. Is Are You Being Served and its spin-off, Grace and Favour, are they the only you-have-been-watching sitcoms to have been set in the same era that they were broadcast? It's not a trick question. I genuinely want to know. Yeah, no, that's Because I seem to recall, obviously, David Croft was sort of attached to him when he worked with various sort of other writers. Mm-hmm, but, you know, mm-hmm. all of those ones that ended with You Have Been Watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it probably sort of, is. Sort of got the impression all the ones I can remember were set in earlier times mm-hmm. than they no, were broadcast. Right. Okay. Good, good. Um, you you mentioned um, Frank Thornton getting a fair crack of the whip at some uh, some expressive work. I yeah. am just so pleased we get to see Arthur Brough. Just He shines in this. I'm glad you bring that up. Mr. Granger. <laughs> Mr. Granger shines in this. Yeah. I don't really remember much of his character, so I'm glad we covered this episode because he is amazing in it. Mm. Um, now it's well documented that "Are You Being Served" sort of broadly was uh, influential. Like I say, it certainly sort of kickstarted a lot of uh, careers. Mm-hmm. It is worth noting that while Bruff initially appears to be channeling a sort of Winston Churchill character, my God, I've got that in my notes. The 1976 episode which contained this... Oh, very messy. (laughs) Figures not clear, handwriting bad, must do better. Rolled in a full seven years before this. Use your aggressive feelings, boy. Let the heat flow through you. (laughs) Yes. Could the elderly, power-hungry zealot who brought us this... I'm sorry, Mrs Slocum, but not in the firm's time. You will have plenty of time next week. Mrs Slocum, you're discharged. ...have contributed to the most evil man in the galaxy. It was I who allowed the Alliance to know the location of the shield generator. It is quite safe from your pitiful little band. I think we should be told. <laughs> Love it. I mean, you know, I'll like... You know I'll find Star Wars in everything, but come on, it's like... It is. No, it you is. Can't, can't, be can't be denied. The man, the man is a galactic-level tyrant. And and with such, it's such acceleration. He's had, yes. pen, he's had pent-up <laughs> vengeance yes. stored yes. in his soul for years here. 
He has. Oh, my God. Because it literally... <laughs> uh, Mr Granger, come to my office, says Rumbold, and we'll chat it through. Next thing you know, Harmon is pushing the drinks trolley through the office. <laughs> the executive's drinks trolley. What's, what's going... So here's, the, here's one of the bits that I love. Back to your Churchillian reference. Yeah. He sat there in Rumbold's chair, drinks are flowing, and he's uh-huh. ordering the, the secretary about. And it, he's, he's got the cigar, and he just suddenly does become Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah, just instantly, yes. The secretary is putting soda in his whiskey. Don't drown it! Uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> just the, the attitude is there straight away, and I'm thinking, go on, Granger, man. I was uh-huh. loving it, me. I was, lo- of course, if I was working there, I wouldn't be loving it. But what do we do get? You we sort of get the impression that Arthur Bruff wrote this episode. I know, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> just, just lovely, and certainly the interaction with Peacock is ah. Oh, there's Peacock in all of his cockiness as usual, his arrogance. Yeah. Goes yeah. into the oh well, I'll just uh, have a chat with Ernest, and uh, yeah, we've been friends for years. Oh no. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know what it's like, Stephen. Margins are going down. It's just, it's just, oh. His tyrannical reign ends when Rumbold comes back from the conference because the conference is cancelled. And, oh, my God, the remorse. And... All right, some of the facial expressions are a bit dodgy where he's trying to push out some tears and stuff and they do this really bad close-up. Yeah, I wasn't really feeling it. Oh. Sort of with a scripted bit. But then I did think, he is actually crying. And he's actually crying in two separate shots because the dolly yeah, zoom is. is separate from the one where he's just sitting there crying. That's I'm right. Like, oh, fair play. I think he's, yeah, he's probably putting in more than I'm giving him credit for there. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you why I feel even more it seems, guy anyway. Ish. It seemed like quite a quick turnaround, that's all. Yeah, or, yeah, it's a twenty-eight minute sitcom. I get that, but exactly, yeah. Which tells me he isn't really that sort of person anyway. He had just been foolish and he was regretting everything, which is fine. Yeah, but he, um, I remember seeing this episode when I was quite young. Uh, mm-hmm. It had been repeated. I didn't see it at broadcast. I was too young for that, but it had been repeated. And as an emotional child as I was, I mean, I think yeah. we've already established that I was terrified of everything. Um, yes. but, but I was already quite emotional. And I cried buckets at this episode because I really felt sorry for him. And then okay. it's when he said this. Coffee is bad for the heart anyway. <laughs> Especially an empty, broken heart. <laughs> and that was it. I was tipped over the edge. That was it. Oh, a roller coaster of emotion in this in this nineteen seventies lurid sitcom. Mm-hmm. Cracking. So I'll tell you now, pegs on the line for this. I'm giving it yeah. it. Snap with that it for me as well. Nice. The question is, how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, I'll be honest with you now. I'm not messing about here. One. I.B. Served stars the magnificent Frank Thornton, who was filmed in the presence of Julian Clary in 1998, along with... Peggy Mom. Yes, cheese and biscuits. I'm a very busy woman. Well done, sir. Well done. What about your good self, sir? I can also do it in one. Go to the counter of menswear and state your case, sir. <laughs> Are You Being Served features the inimitable Wendy Richard, who was a panellist in a 1976 episode of Celebrity Squares, along with... 
Peggy Mount. Dolly and Mildred are very worried women. Very good, very good. Marvellous. One's apiece. I like it. I like it. And that is the last serving for this episode. We'll have to put the sheets over the mannequins for this week. Yeah, thanks again for hanging out with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on the Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. And don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com. Check out the show notes for this episode. It's as simple as that. You really can. And remember, if you're going to have whiskey, remember what Granger said. Don't drown it, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and don't forget, keep mountain. Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast, Michael Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Are You Being Served was the hugely successful sitcom from David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd, produced and aired by the BBC from 1983 to 19... 83 to fucking 73, you stupid... Ha ha ha!